relationship is a two-way street, right? It requires both parties in the transaction to participate. It's very difficult to have a relationship with someone that is a one-way street. Yes, but often it is one of the two people that shows some leadership Mm -hmm. by offering things like gratitude, vulnerability, and these specific skills we're going to talk about with trust that allow for the other person to go, yeah, I want that. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money. And they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. Episode 11. Still in the epicenter of wealth. Still in the epicenter of wealth because it's a trilogy, right? <laughs> it's gratitude, vulnerability, and... And trust. Trust. This whole episode is devoted to how do you both amend, repair, renew, refresh your relationships with your people, and how trust is such a critical element to that. Absolutely. We started this whole journey on healing our ache with money first. And now we're looking at how our money behaviors of the past may have affected our relationships. What damage it's done. Yeah. And and how can we start reconstructing those relationships with people through this epicenter of wealth module? And we started with just gratitude, coming in with this attitude of gratitude where two, a negative feeling and a positive feeling can't exist in the same space. So we can just start with a place of gratitude. And then we talked in last episode about this idea of being vulnerable, allowing ourselves to be real, because it just seems, I mean, for me, it's so attractive to see real, to see vulnerable out there. So could I take a little bit of risk by allowing myself to be real and vulnerable for the sake of connecting with other people? Can I be vulnerable with you right now? Please. I love when you're vulnerable. I did something today I've never done before. Oh, yeah? What's that? I went to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Yes. So we talk a lot about fast food and the impact of fast food. So oh, my, yeah. if we're going to have a little pause here for a moment on vulnerability. Bad boy. I, I ordered the deluxe. Wow. Didn't know it came with waffle fries. And pickles. And my mentor, my Chick-fil-A mentor, also known as my oldest daughter, Emily, uh, she asked me what sauce I got. Hmm. And I didn't, I didn't know about the sauce. I didn't know I was supposed to order a sauce. <laughs> So that's my vulnerability is I had fast food for lunch today, which I couldn't tell you the last time I've done that. Were you afraid I was going to judge you? I thought so. Yeah, yeah I'm like, oh, he's going to get all bok choy on me in terms of <laughs> Mr. Vegetable over here. <laughs> Are you watching Veggie Tales? Is that the, uh, the the theme these days in the nah, kitchen? Nah, I, I, can't, I can't do the cartoons like I used to, but okay. in the days. So I had, to, I had to interject with vulnerability. But nice this, job. this concept of trust, because when you're vulnerable – 
What does it do? What's one of the byproducts of being more vulnerable with somebody? Well, it just makes you real. It makes you real. It makes you more attractive to me, the fact that you'd be real like that. And then consequently, as we start to dive into this trust conversation and this trust yeah. concept, is it easy? Think about this for a second. Is it easier to trust somebody that you feel is real or... Always putting a game and, face on. Yeah, like that game, you know, you, you always you get a little squinty <laughs> eye. Little and you game start, show. Little, yeah, and you look at someone like, uh, <laughs> I don't think so, right? <laughs> hey, how you doing? You start to size somebody up or sure. measure them up and putting on the mask, always, you know, the game face, all those. Yeah, there's always more trust in the room when you're vulnerable. At least for me, when you're telling me a, a secret, right, a truth, and I really liked it, I have to say. I love the Chick-fil-A. I, I might have to get the bumper sticker and the... You know, I wouldn't the... trust you if you told me you hated it. <sighs> that was really good. You would have cost trust in our relationship if you told me you went to Chick-fil-A today and you absolutely hated it. Because I wouldn't believe you. I know you're going to love it. It was good. That's awesome. So why do we want trust? Why is trust the third leg of this epicenter of true wealth? Why is trust so important? In the context of true wealth is we're, one of the ways that we're defining it is in the relationships that you have with your people. Yeah. If there has been damage done to those relationships because of money, this is going to be one of the fastest ways to repair it, is... Creating trust. Is to reestablish trust, renew it, establish it, whatever, whatever condition it's in, repair it. That is going to be the accelerant to repairing those relationships. Yeah. Well, it doesn't all... necessarily happen overnight. No, no. And well, you, you and I talk a lot about this concept of two inches in front of our nose. And with trust, it's very much like that. It's like, what have you done for me today? When I, when I used to work at one of the big brokerage firms, this is a little bit going back in time, when, you would, when a client would call and want to write a ticket or, or buy something, you used to have to write a physical paper ticket. Hmm. Particularly if it was over a certain size, you'd have to take that. You had this little like deposit slip thingamabob in your desk and you'd fill out this ticket, and you'd have to walk it down to the cage. The cage was where the operations and the trading people sat behind this. Back in the day, it was actually literally a cage. Now it was just a, a high counter. And Maria worked in the cage. And I prided myself on being able to establish trust with people. And with Maria, you started over every day. Wow. Zero. Nothing have, in the trust bank. You have bank. zero deposits in the in the trust bank. You start over. And you could have had a great week, and you could have done everything that you needed to do with her and all those great things. And Monday morning, brother, whew, start zero. over. Start over. Hmm. So how would you build trust with her? Because I think there's, for most people, Maria's not going to be like most people. No. no. Where, where once we build trust, then we have the opportunity to keep trust. And I think for, for the sake of the conversation today, if we could break it down into two parts. How, how do we establish trust in a relationship where trust has been damaged? And then how do we keep that trust once we've created it? So I'm just curious with Maria how you had to recreate that trust every Monday morning with her. You just – I mean, we're going to get into it in this episode in terms of the, the actual – the step-by-step. The step-by-step yeah. aspect of what we were doing or what I would be doing with her to fulfill that. But in your concept of, you know, how do you earn trust? Well, I'd love to hear that because one of the things that always fascinated me about our early years together, what left me feeling like I could come talk to you when 
things got really bad in my life financially. You were one of those people, one of those rare people, and, and I've had others tell me of similar people they've met in their lives where the first time you and I met, I felt like I knew you for 30 years. Right. I came running home that day and told Amy to pack our stuff. Right. I found my business partner. Sorry, we're, Amy. We're moving to Lafayette. Now, granted, that was 15 years ago. It took us a little while for that to happen. But I was always fascinated with how quickly you were able to create trust. It was almost like you were able to create trust at this lightning fast speed with anybody you interacted with. I felt it the very first time you and I met. And then as you invited me to be part of the practice informally, 07, 08, more formally again in 2014, I would sit and observe and watch as we would work with clients together. People you had never met before. Right. People who were introduced through a friend, a family member, their CPA, somebody told them to come see us. They would sit with you, and within, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, I would watch people start divulging things about themselves, become vulnerable with you, much the way I did the first time we met. And it blew me away to watch this because it wasn't obvious that you were saying anything or doing anything that created this trust at lightning fast speed where people were literally giving you the keys to their castle. Right. Right. The keys to their family. Yeah. First within, couple hundred times I experienced it, I didn't. I, I, you had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about and, what was going on because we've observed it. And thanks to you, we've, we've slowed this train down yeah. and studied it and picked it apart. Yeah. Because it's powerful. Because if we can help anybody, if we can help one person listening, figure this out in their own world, what works for them, right? And then How to create so much, trust. So much of this, and, and we can't emphasize this enough, this is not about cut, copy, paste what Jim does. It's what works for you. And what we're going to pick apart is what I do, and they are absolutely tools that you can do. But you don't want to do it in such a way where you're trying to be me. Right. There's you want to do it your way. Right. What you did, what I've watched you do over and over, is you've eliminated this thing I like to call a trust gap. When I meet somebody, when we met Jeff for the first time, right, our wonderful podcast producer sitting uh, 6.2 feet away to, from me to my right, the first time we met Jeff, there was a trust gap between us. We didn't know each other. But what happened within just a very short period of time was just interacting with one another, bringing gratitude into the room, being vulnerable with one another. It almost started eliminating that trust gap and then it was a couple of final things, I think, that happened in our first couple of recording sessions together where that trust gap was completely eliminated. We can help people figure out how to do that for themselves. Right, because then at that point, now you have relationship. Yes. Right, when that trust gap gets eliminated— Epicenter of true wealth. You now have relationship. Yes. Relationship is a two-way street, right? It requires both parties in the transaction to participate. It's very difficult to have relationship with someone that is a one-way street. Yes, but often it is one of the two people that shows some leadership mm -hmm. by offering things like gratitude, vulnerability, and these specific skills we're going to talk about with trust right. that allow for the other person to go, yeah, I want that. Mm -hmm. And that's where it becomes a two-person adventure and not just a solo venture. So as we picked this apart and slowed it down and, and really looked at it, such a big component of it was this concept of empathy. Oh, center of the bullseye. And a skill that I've developed over a very long period of time is being able to have a tremendous amount of empathy for whatever you're going through. 
we've got it right now with the coronavirus, right? I just, I feel for so many people, and that's why we were talking in the last episode about how when I go into a place of business and I have the opportunity to ask the business owner or somebody that works there, you know, how, how are you guys doing? That is genuine on my part and empathetically wanting to know, given all the stress that we're going through, how are you doing? That empathy muscle is something that takes a little while to develop. Sure. And I know we've talked about it before, but I think we should probably slow it down again and just talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Well, I think they get used, they get cross-used a lot. The idea of empathy, I mean, I, I think this is something that we're naturally born with. It's a sense that we're born with, this ability to just breathe in somebody else's gas and feel what they're feeling, even though we didn't experience necessarily the same experience. But there's also a way to express empathy even when we've experienced the same experience, because that's what sympathy is, right? If I have sympathy for you, it's because I've experienced something similar to what you've experienced. Mm -hmm. I feel what you feel because I've experienced what you've experienced. Empathy, on the other hand, is I feel what you feel despite not having the same experience. Not having the same experience, and I would go so far as to say is also not having any judgment over it. Right. Empathy is being able to listen to another person's story in complete neutral. Mm, I love that. Neutral. That's awesome. Neutral's, neutral's beautiful. It takes practice. Mm. But listening in neutral is huge. That's how, come on, most people don't want to listen to somebody else's tale of struggle or woe or stress or worry or, or death or divorce or sure. bankruptcy or whatever it I, is. I got enough problems to deal with in my own life. What do, what do I need yours for too? But at the same time, you and I are in the business of helping solve those problems for people. Sure. Right? It's not just about managing the money and, you know, yeah, it goes up, yeah, it goes down and have a nice retirement and enjoy the cruise. We're trying to get to the underlying issues. We're trying to have people feel wealthier than they've ever imagined in their life. And it doesn't have to do with their balance sheet. It has to do with their relationships. And as you like to say, when you look in the mirror, how do you how feel, do you about, feel about the person that's looking back? Yep. That's where the empathy and then subsequently the compassion of what they're going through, it's got to be in the room. There's a paradox here that I think we'd be missing if we don't mention this. I have seen firsthand since experiencing that first conversation with you in 2005, where you expressed empathy. I came in, I told you my story. I told you how I had this relentless pursuit for money. It destroyed my my relationships at home with Amy and the boys. It, it's hurt my relationship with my parents, with my brother. It's hurt my relationships at work. And your response was literally just a reaction to how you sensed I was feeling telling you the story. You breathed in my gas and went, wow, that sounds like that was tough. That sounds like that was a really rough experience. I'm sorry you had to go through that. You just literally fed off my feelings. And what we've since learned about that whole experience is that what's so incredible for you, or now that I get to do that for other people, right? I, I get to just breathe in their gas and validate their feelings for them. What that does for me is where I would normally say, gosh, I don't want to hear it. I've got enough on my own plate. We've got enough challenges going on in our own family and our own business that I don't need yours. Yet when I breathe your gas in, it actually gets me out of my own head. Mm -hmm. It alleviates those temporary problems that are swirling all over my head in my own life. And we, we've shared this before. One of my favorite things I've ever heard you say is the greatest way to get out of my own head is to jump into somebody else's heart. Bingo. 
to breathe in their gas and just be present for them like that. And that concept of being there for someone and getting else getting into their heart is going to quiet all the little voices up in the head. Yes. Let's go back for a second. Yeah. The difference between empathy and sympathy and why this is so important, because both can be expressed in a helpful way, but one is going to be more helpful, more integral. Is that another new word I just made up? No, no. Is that a real word? That's a real word. Oh, fantastic. My wife had an accurate integral in the 80s. Sympathy can be helpful, but empathy is the integral part to this epicenter of wealth of creating trust at lightning fast speed. And here's what I mean by that. Example, how are you today? Well, I'm okay. I mean, I didn't sleep well last night because— Oh, I didn't sleep well either. I had an awful night. With the, the dog was up, and there was this owl in the backyard, and then the alarm went off because the door blew open. And So is that empathy or sympathy? Good one. That's sympathy. That's sympathy. Right. You felt it too. Who was that about? Who, it was about me. It was about you. Yeah. Right. How powerful is that in helping me feel trust for you? Not so much. Not so much. Not so much. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I didn't really sleep that well last night. I I almost I, I was pulling out of the the work I was pulling out of the office last night and this woman almost broadsided me in the car and I just I couldn't get that out of my head and I couldn't sleep last night. I just my back is sore. I'm it was sorry a, to hear that. Yeah, that's, it was a rough night. That is uh that's no good. It's no it's no fun when you don't have a good night's rest. Wow, thank you. That's different. That's different because it's not about me. Right. And frankly, one of the most important things about trying to build trust with another person is a very consistent demonstration of it's not about me. No, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you. Yeah. It's about the other party in the it's relationship. It's not about you. It's about you. Right. Who's on first? He is. What's on second, though? So that's that distinction is is really pivotal or in, integral. What did you say? In, integral. 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 <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> to what we're trying to do in this concept, because who doesn't, let's face it, who doesn't want to accelerate the trust gap. Who doesn't want to establish trust at lightning fast speed? Right. Eliminate and the gap. Excuse me. Eliminate eliminate the trust gap. Yep. And this is the key to it right here. This is when, when you and I broke down what you did in the first time you and I met and what I watched you do subsequently over and over and over to create that moment where someone who's known you for less than a couple of hours is giving you the keys to the castle. That was the key piece. The fact that you flexed your empathy muscle at such a high degree in that first initial get-to-know-one-another meeting, you breathed in all their gas. You listened, and you did more than listen. You felt it. Hear me now and listen later. <laughs> Sorry, got, I couldn't. You, you had Hello. to go Hans I had, I've been watching so much Saturday Night Live reruns at home with the coronavirus. I, I couldn't. You had to bring back an old character. I, yeah, that's just one of my favorites. I love it. Maybe one of these days I'll bring the church lady back. There we go. Yeah. It was such an eye-opener for me when we slowed it down and we picked this apart and yeah. identified that distinction between empathy and sympathy. Because I think most people by nature just want to jump right in with sympathy. Sure. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. You had a lousy weekend? Oh, me yeah, too. me too. Me too. Right? And try it out with people that you're trying to build relationship with, right? Even if you've experienced it before. Yeah, just zip it. Don't, don't make go, it about your don't experience. Don't make it about your experience and make it about you. Make it about them. Yes. Whether you're on a date, whether it's your boss, whether it's a family member, a friend that you're trying to build trust with at a very fast speed, a job interview, whatever it is, you've got to make it about them. And it's got to be genuine. 
if it's not genuine, forget it. Yeah. It's got to be a genuine level of empathy for the other per other party in the transaction that you are empathizing with what they're going through. So we've it. got a nice little exercise on this guy. And it's well, I'll let you tee up how we want to do it. Well, it's it's a little journaling exercise. I mean, the whole idea behind having more empathy for people is to get out of your own head and get into other people's hearts. Well, I've been asked the question, what happens if I've just got stuff in my head that I need to get out and I can't be there for somebody else? Well, get it out on paper. Let's get it out on paper. Yeah. So again, we talked in the last episode about this idea of being vulnerable. What I'm going to suggest is now that we've talked about this idea of listening in neutral, let's do a little journaling exercise where we can take all of that stuff about how we like to complain about how life sucks in our head and instead of using a conversation with another person to just dump how we want to complain about everything in life, let's get it on a piece of paper. Let's write it down. Let's get it out of our head. Let's get it out of our body. Let's prepare ourselves to be these empathetic beings that can be there for other people and can start to heal these relationships that we've damaged with some of the money behaviors we've had in the past. These are the things that we can do to start healing those relationships, to start fixing that damage. Imagine what life would be like if every relationship that you cared about was full of gratitude, vulnerability, and trust. And you left the junk somewhere else. You left the mess outside of it. You didn't bring the mess to the relationship, all the yeah. stuff that's going on in what your head. What would those relationships be like? Oh, they'd be so much better. Right? So much better. So two minutes of just writing down everything that's challenging you in your life today. And then just see how that feels after you get it out of your head and get it on a piece of paper. For me, it always felt lightning to do that. I always felt like like weight would come off my shoulders. And I know we're asking our, our people to do an exercise. But it's also in that share, right? When you're telling me what you have going on and you're a financial mess and you know this is happening and that's happening, by your ability to share that with another person, it is lightening you up by nature. Yes. You already feel better as a result of that share, of that- Being of that, vulnerable. Of, of being vulnerable. Yeah. That now invites, right? That creates space to be able to talk about that or to talk about how you'd like them to be. Yeah. And you now have the time and space because in that little dialogue of you sharing your story and my being empathetic and listening and neutral, there's now enough trust in the room that if I have some advice or I have a suggestion that you've got a little space and a little breathing room to be able to even breathe it in yourself. Yes, absolutely. Well, and what was so, what was awesome about being able to take the advice and suggestions that you had for me was you waited for me to ask for it before you gave it to me. You didn't just give me suggestions or advice. I told you what my truth was. You didn't comment. You didn't try to fix it. You certainly didn't judge it, but you didn't try to fix it until I asked you for your help. I know it's not something we necessarily have on the outline of what to talk about no, today. No, this, this is big. But this is something that I know I'm experiencing just in the last couple of days in some of the things that I've learned from you that I'm applying at home to help me strengthen the trust that I have with my own family. And that is not commenting on or criticizing anything anybody has to say to me. Mm-hmm. You didn't comment, you didn't offer a suggestion or advice mm -hmm. that day to me until I asked you for it. You simply offered me empathy and compassion. And until I said, can you help me, 
what do you think I should do? You kept comments and suggestions to yourself. Well, have you ever gone to Ace Hardware and bought a nice long piece of rope and tried to push it home? <laughs> I haven't tried that one yet. You should try it. It's should really, I try it? Well, but you're, you're going to get a lot of stares. I mean, people are going to slow down. They might throw you a couple bucks. Cause I got time worried, today. They're, <laughs> worried, they're worried about you as you try to push the rope on your way home. But what's, what's one of our very, very favorite sayings? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Right. I had to be ready. Absolutely. And we're going to say it again. When the student's ready, the teacher will appear. How many, how many youth sports coaches, how many teachers, how many leaders? Bosses, yeah. How many bosses, how many heads of the five families yeah. have we met in our lives that fail to truly connect with their people because they're offering suggestions or giving advice without being asked for it? Yeah. And they wonder why. I mean, I've wondered this for years as a Little League sports, right? When I was coaching Little League, sure. I used to wonder for years, why is it these kids aren't doing what I'm asking them to do? My greatest frustrations as a CYO basketball coach in the last few years have been as a result of they don't want coaching. They don't want advice. If they wanted advice, they'd, they'd ask. They'd ask. Right. Or they'd be in a different league. Right. Something that I've been doing at home, I'm on day five of this. I'm no longer commenting on criticizing or judging anything anyone in my family says to me. The only thing I'm responding to are questions. If people make a statement, my son made a statement about this whole online learning environment that's going on right now. He made some statement about the fact that he read that only 3% of children in the state of California are actually participating in the online learning. So what's the point, Dad? I just don't need to do it. And 87% of all statistics are made up. Of course, especially if they're coming from my 16-year-old son. Now, in my head, I wanted to tell him he was wrong. Of course. That there's no way he was right and that I don't care what the statistics are. He needs to get on his work. But good on you. You stayed neutral. Instead, I, I did this little trick a friend of mine recently taught me called going to the ozone. Oh. Oh. Huh. Is that so? Huh. Really? Oh. And I left it at that. I let him be right. I didn't need to be right. I'd rather be happy. So I'm just I'm on this experiment right well, now in my own family. In our curriculum, you were empathetic. I was very empathetic because you I were listened. breathing into his gas. I right? saw his anger. He was very frustrated. Very frustrated. You breathed it in, and you didn't jump in the. You know this. I'm so frustrated by this too. And no. it's not the online learning. It's this new compliance thing that we have to deal with. This ADV Part Three, and it's got a whole. You didn't jump into the nope. to the lion's den. I went to the ozone. I went. Oh, well, that sounds frustrating. I totally understand why you'd be frustrated. Let me know if I can help you at all with your schoolwork. And he's since been doing his schoolwork. Sure. But I didn't have to be right. And I just, I feel it. I feel like the trust gap, even in my own family with teenage boys, is starting to get eliminated by simply doing that, by just keeping my mouth shut and not commenting on something somebody has to say. So you and I have also built a kind of a, a series of principles that we like to refer to as five to thrive. Yes. Once, so once we've had the trust... Oh, absolutely. Once we've established it. But let's pick on Maria, right? Yeah. So you asked me a question about how did I do this day in and day out? And these exercises are, as you and I have often said, one of the most powerful series of exercises that I almost feel as though if my four kids can grow up and they can do these, what we refer to as five to thrive, yep. I really don't give a shit about the rest. No, oh, we can and throw every I, rule out I, the window. And what I mean by that is they don't have to graduate summa cum laude from 
some ridiculously crazy good school. They don't need to be number one in their class. They don't need to be number one in their class. And just the pressure that that takes off of them, having watched many kids that strive for that and the pressure that comes with that. Anyway. If they live by these five principles if that they we live, call five to thrive. If they can adopt these five to thrive, if the people that we work with and that are in our communities can adopt these five to thrive, I think the environment will fundamentally change for the better. And a lot of the things that you and I talk about in terms of where people spend their money or the different side effects of of stress and all the talk that there is in, in the medical communities about stress and what it does to the body, this Five to Thrive is huge. Well, let's give some background here on, on this Five to Thrive before we get into it. Let's take a step back on Five to Thrive because I think we've reached a critical point in the conversation on trust. We've spent the last, I don't know, 30 minutes or so talking about how to establish or reestablish trust with this idea of eliminating the trust gap using this this muscle, this underutilized muscle called empathy. Yeah. How empathy could lead to some compassion, some validation of feelings. Well, once we've established that trust, how do we keep it? And that's really where this five to thrive conversation comes in. These are principles that you and I have learned from some wonderful people we've come across in life, and we've combobulated them together into our own little package called five to thrive principles. Through our own life experience. Yeah, absolutely. And refining them to the point where these are now, they're pretty bulletproof. All right. So go ahead. What's number one? What's principle number one? Number one is show up on time and prepared. Principle number two. Say please, thank you, and you're welcome. Principle number three. Do what you say you're going to do. Principle number four. Finish what you start. And my absolute favorite, principle number five. If you make a mistake, own it and fix it. Awesome. Five to thrive, which we're going to dive deeply into in the next episode. Yep. But these five principles, this is the last thing I want to say about it before we cut out for the day and call it a wrap. You started to say this before, but now that we've shared what these five principles are, principle number one, show up on time and prepared. Principle number two, say please, thank you, and you're welcome. Principle three, do what you say. Principle four, finish what you start. Principle five, when you make a mistake, own it and fix it. Just picture for a moment in your mind's eye, if we threw out all the rules, every rule to being a human being, and simply applied these five principles to society, what would our world look like? And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode of Financial Sobriety. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance.